0: everybody welcome to Compte the mm-hmm. podcast supporting young professionals of color I'm your host dre thank you again for tuning in and this today's episode is going to be around um, the mental health professionals so I actually brought one with me um, I will allow him to introduce himself um, if you can share your name how you identify mm-hmm. culturally ethnically and any other identities you share
1: okay
0: yeah and maybe where you're from
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, my name is John Cho. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I use he and they pronouns. I'm a gay Korean man from Fort Lee, New Jersey. Hey, hey.
0: <laughs> so John, um, what is a licensed therapist?
1: What is a licensed therapist? Um, there's so many different types. So my particular degree in licensed mental health counseling is a fairly new degree. It started in 2006. And so when I entered the field, it was so much harder because um, social work was an established field. Psychology is an established field. So because it's so new, um, there was a lot of barriers to kind of like what is <laughs> mental health counseling and how does that differentiate from social work um and it was really hard also because um people employers internships were like we don't know what you are and um like why should we care um since you're not a social worker, or people would try to convert me being like I don't understand why you aren't a social worker. So there is a lot of different things. Um, a licensed therapist is anyone that can do counseling, any work around um, trying to better yourself. And the the main point around being a licensed therapist is trying to help your client help yourself. It's like a kind of like a springboard into how aware can you be. Um, And how honest can you be?
0: And in terms of just making sure to stay consistent with language, is this, tell me if it's a dumb question, but is this the same as a psychologist?
1: So psychologists require a doctorate usually. And so, um, which can be good and bad. So a psychologist are more trained formally in testing. So if you wanted to do assessments, if you want to do like diagnostic work, um, psychologists are really great at that. Um social workers and mental health counselors though um only require a master's level degree
0: So we understand your field is extremely Caucasian yeah and there's no, I mean it's it's wonderful that we do have um, mm-hmm. Caucasian um you know brothers and sisters and fellows yeah. in the field, which is great yeah. but there isn't a lot of diversity so how did mm-hmm. you, why did you become what you became? <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah.
1: Um, I was always interested in the field of psychology. Um, that was my major in undergrad at Rutgers University. Um, and I double majored in communication, specifically around or communication, and PR. So um, I was like, what do I do <laughs> post-undergrad? <laughs> um And I had a hard time finding my niche. Um, It was really hard to being like, I don't know what I'm really passionate about because there's like this weird um, misconception that you can't be successful as like a social worker or a misconception that you can't be successful as a counselor. So being raised a Korean American, like my mom could not fathom me being a licensed mental health counselor at all she was like what are you doing <laughs> I don't understand it um, and if you really look at um, the field of psychology the field of mental health um, it it's very westernized right it's the forefathers of psychology Sigmund Freud um, and everyone that came after him were white <laughs> so like when you look at these theories you um, they're all white, and it becomes very apparent. Like um, Yalom, who is a very um, accomplished therapist, one of the four founders of like modern um, counseling and social work. Everyone references him, but he didn't consider um, like multicultural issues as like a universal factor, um, and I felt. When reading that, that was problematic um, in a lot of different ways. A lot of people consider um, multicultural issues as like an add-on. And he never conceptualized it as an add-on, but that implicit um, feeling around that multicultural issues is not a universal um, aspect to reality (laughs) or lived experiences is really hard so it was really hard to kind of navigate all those things but I think um, it also creates an opportunity right there's because there's not a lot of people of color like um, it's important and less so in like queer people of color um, doing this work so I think it community mentorship really comes into play for that
0: So you're not seeing people who look like you um, that much. Did you see did you see folks in your because your program you said is new and it started in 2006. Did you see a lot of other people of color in the program? Did you not? When Mm -hmm. did you you said there's a mentorship that comes with professionals of color in mental health counseling? Yeah. What? (laughs) When did you if you did encounter people of color? When were those um, specific spots in your journey?
1: Um I worked with um in psychology I was like I was really determined to do more clinical work. So a pathway to that is clinical psychology. Um I studied um under Dr. Shalanda Kelly, who kind of um I think she's still overseas or works in the multicultural department at Rutgers University around uh, the Graduate School of Psychology and she did a lot of work around black couples and that was like my interest point um, because she was doing something specifically around people of color and uh, I don't think as an undergraduate student there was many opportunities for that so I latched on and I was like I really want to do this work Um, (laughs) and so um, she really, like, we went that route. Um, I didn't get into Rutgers University for grad school for psychology because it's extremely competitive. The PsyD program is, I think, no- number one in the country, and their PhD program is, like, number five. So, like, oh, <laughs> it was a long shot. But, um, it kind of made me think about in my, uh, what are those things called? Um, My essay for graduate school, um, my admissions essay, um, I spoke a lot about, like, there's, like, a dearth of people doing this work. And um, a lot of, like, I didn't get much exposure to Asian-Americans doing this work, um, specifically for Asian-Americans. A lot of people will do... um, like mood disorders or like depression and anxiety and it's not specifically for it's just like overall right like population level type of stuff mm. but i've never seen like com- like targeted approaches for people of color especially people that look like me
0: outside of black love <laughs> yes, <outside laughs> of that, you know black love okay <laughs> this is very i did not know that about you <laughs> um, you know a lot more about black love probably than most people do um <laughs> So you're not seeing studies or you're not seeing um, the field focusing heavily on folks of color, Mm -hmm. especially, like you said, your community. Mm -hmm. Um, When you went into your um, graduate program, were there avenues to explore that?
1: I think I went to Yeshiva University for mental health counseling. Um, To give context to what that is, it's an Orthodox Jewish school. Uh, so, although I have to say, like, the, the program is very diverse, so, um, there were people of color in the program. I wouldn't say it was, like, super diverse, um, but there were people of color there, um, that I still talk to today, um, Kai, who I want to shout out, is one of my best friends in the program, um, and for, wait, seven years, seven Seven, eight years now. And um, I think those were the people that I felt really inspired to. Um, And I really wanted to work with the LGBT people. So um, the place that I work at now, like they don't, they didn't recognize mental health counselors at first. It wasn't specifically on the website, it wasn't there. Um, But I was like, oh, like, have mental health counselors worked here before and they're like, yeah, like but it wasn't like a like a specific thing that was in their like an organizational focus.
0: So my mind is blanking at this moment. Mm-hmm. I was about to say something. Um Yeah, I'm blinking. So <laughs> no, I had a very, very good question uh-huh. and it like slipped out of my head. Um yeah. So what I want to ask is when you went into your line of work, okay, you're saying that there wasn't, mm-hmm. you had to kind of push into the, oh, I do remember yeah. now. You were very humble. You also teach at your graduate school. That's what I remember to say. Yeah, you teach there. You're so humble. You're not trying to say, give all your like credentials and all oh. your accolades out. Yes, he teaches. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I don't teach there anymore. Okay. I, I I've taught at Yeshiva University um, for substance abuse counseling to first-year mental health um, counselor students. I currently teach at City College um, as an adjunct lecturer there um and i've been doing that for two years now i just finished
0: (laughs) oh nice Uh, yeah you have um you know you have a good reputation the girls talk about you they're like oh my god john john (laughs) john put me on or john told me how to do this or john (laughs) like you have disciples (laughs) (laughs) you do really good for what i've been told
1: i think that's really important right like i think it's so important to give back and to foster that type of community. Like, I think that's also, like, why I went into teaching. Like, there, there is no one really, like... Well, I wouldn't say no one. There are so many people, like, in my life that shaped and molded the way that I saw things. Um, and it propelled me to being like, oh, like, this is what it's about. Like, it's about community. It's about um bringing people into the fold um and you don't see that a lot um in the field there isn't a lot of like community like community or people that you can call family and being like hey like um you need that mentorship to kind of see
0: so do you feel like the industry especially in new york city is it Mm -hmm. small like everybody knows everybody because i I don't know. I mean, as as an outsider, I'm like, there's so many of y'all, but I guess, (laughs) you know, that's me as an outsider. Yeah. Uh, So everyone kind of knows who's the good ones, who's Mm -hmm. the um, forgotten children, who are the outcasts and who are the people like, okay, they're onto some good stuff.
1: I think it's, New York is such a large place. Like, I think I know, like, quite a few people, but there's always someone that I don't know or that I'm not aware of. Um, It's amazing, like... Considering how competitive New York City is, like, I think there are still avenues and opportunities for people to be like, oh, okay, like, I can find this niche, I can find this population, I can work with this community. Um, I think the, the problem is that the, I guess, like, the percentage of pe- people of color doing this work is less than, like, um, white people, <laughs> I think. Like and it's also when you see the disparities in gender, um, there's not enough men, cis men, um, doing that, and then there's even lower trans people in graduate programs. So That's
0: interesting. So there's not that many cis men.
1: No. I think we had twenty five people in our cohort and like maybe one third were Maybe
0: less. And trans folks are not, and especially that um, both populations, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I don't want to do the Pain Olympics, but I would say definitely trans a little more than cisgendered men um, need services because they're not seeking or they're not, they're being um, overlooked Mm -hmm. and they need services um, a lot, especially like the suicide rate is usually higher Mm -hmm. among um, men. Mm-hmm. And trans folks um, experience multiple forms of trauma, mm-hmm. and the life expectancy—and I might be wrong—is thirty-five years old. Is um yeah. they said at least fifty percent of um trans women are um pass away at thirty-five. Yeah, and that's very young. <laughs> yeah,
1: there there needs to be more models, um, and avenues and pathways for people to attain education. Like I think the big problem right now is, um, and I see it with the young people that I work with, access to education is probably one of our biggest problems in the U.S. right now. Um, the loan debt of young people carrying that weight I'm carrying it right now <laughs> um, is so high. It's, it's almost crazy, like, talking to young people and that their financial aid barely covers half of their tuition or, like... And they're considering private loans, which um, is insane to me in this day and age for our young people to navigate that type of thing. And it creates this really horrible, um, self-defeating loop of uh, why bother? Like, if this avenue is not accessible to me, um, because either I had to choose working or accessing, like uh insurmountable debt like what do i do right it's crazy
0: yeah that is insane (laughs) um so going into it um i know in my personal experience i'm not a mental health professional but mental health is definitely stigmatized Mm -hmm. within the communities i am Mm -hmm. a member of Mm -hmm. i'm sure that you you did not I mean, this is an assumption, but I'm sure yeah. that you did not go out of the womb knowing what you now know, or yeah. at least receiving yeah. that form of education yeah. from your community. Yeah. Um. Can you discuss a bit about what type of stigmas that you grew up with around mental health? And yeah. then I guess going through the program, you kind of have to sacrifice and shedding, like essentially like kill parts of yourself and revive and mm-hmm. build parts of yourself mm-hmm. to take on this work. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of discuss that transformation yeah. but.
1: Um, I think one in Korean American community, it's, it's very traditional. So, um, it's, I guess what you would say conservative. Um, and so people who immigrated here were trying to find, um, a better life for themselves. And in doing that, um, There was a lot of sacrifices. So there's already this, like, psychological stealing that people do to kind of, like, harden themselves, right? They had to survive. They had to support their family. They're also trying to find a dream. So balancing that, like, trauma of, like, I don't know anyone. There's not a lot of people that look like me and to build that community. So that was really hard. And, like, my family came... In the late set or mid to late 70s, I think. Um, And that was a really hard experience for them, especially like if the riots were around that time too in the 80s. And so that was just like a traumatic time for everyone, but um, especially for my family. Um, And I think. The stereotypes I hear a lot is, like, around emotion and the expression of emotion and gender. So it's, like, a lot of times it's, like, I'm firstborn, so that that means something. Like, um, and Asian countries in general value men more than women. And um, it was really hard to kind of being, like, you can't express your emotions because you're a man, and you have to, like, provide for your family. And there's so many different expectations. And then layer queerness on top of that <clears throat> makes it really hard. Um, and so I would have a lot of arguments with my parents around um, why can't I do these things? And then layering on top of, like, mental health issues that I have saw. Um, depression is a really big one. Um. And the externalization of like men that who are depressed, right like they present more angry mm-hmm. and it's hard to kind of like um, hmm to kind of like recognize those things. So all the time like I was growing up like I recognized signs, mm-hmm. but I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. And I think that kind of of. Catac- me being like why do people act this way or like why do my parents act this way and I don't understand that um so I think in my early age of like being a person of color and navigating all those things it inherently helps you because it's like oh like I recognize that my parents are like not functioning as well as like people are saying they should and I wonder why that is and not saying that like they weren't like normal or whatever it's more like oh they had to overcome so much and they had to give a lot of pieces of themselves so going into the program like it was really traumatic because there's not enough um, models to kind of represent the experience that I went through. So an example is like when I took my multicultural class, and <laughs> I told this story a lot to other people, being like, "Oh my god, like what is that?" Um, but we were watching Amy Tan's movie, um, The Joy Luck Club, and that in that movie, there's a Scene where the main character is saying to her mom, they're having an argument. They're basically saying like, "You don't see me, you don't see me." And I remember my professor saying at the time, "Hey, like, does anyone like relate to this movie? I'm the only Asian person in my cohort." So he looks at me, Oh man. This, this Latino man. Oh,
0: I mean, even if it's even when it's other people, of color. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you calling me out? Yeah. Oh my god, the anxiety. <laughs>
1: it's so anxious. I was like, oh my god, oh my god. And so he looks at me, and I was like, well, um, I don't know how to respond, right? Like, it's like, do do I say something? Do I not? Um, but I was like, okay, like let me say something because I actually do relate to this and um I just remember me saying like yeah I do and he was like okay like why and I was like (laughs) this is so hard um I was like hey uh I only remember my mom saying I love you to me like maybe five times in my life and people were like what like all the white people in the room were, like, visibly shocked. Like, but not even more shocked, like, was, like, it hit them.
0: They were horrified. They were horrified. <laughs> yeah, they were horrified. <laughs> yeah, I think that's
1: a good word for it. Like, there was a dehumanization in that moment. And, um, and it wasn't, like, out of, like, mal-intent, I think. It was more, like, well, uh-uh. there was one person that was, like, oh, so your mom didn't love you and so i was like "Mm, it's not that my mom didn't love me um it's more that like people are now knowing the languages of love and so like asian americans tend to show love through behavior action like that speaks louder than words and um so When you look at racist behavior from white folks um, around Asian Americans, it's around that we're perceived as lazy because our parents do a lot of things for us, whether it's laundry or food or um, things. But that's like one aspect in which we're like, oh, we we can do it. We're capable. But we let our parents do that because they don't verbally say I love you very often at least in traditional families. And so, but people couldn't wrap that, like, it's the bubble of Western culture, of being white, of that there are different ways of being. And so that was a really good, important moment for me, being like, oh, wow, like, if someone with a similar background to me came to you... (laughs) (laughs) Um, they would have a hard time being like you you don't get my like lived experience
0: so like the movie you don't see me yeah <laughs> you don't see me yeah so
1: why come back to you?
0: So that actually I, I just thought of um, a moment where so my mom mm-hmm. is a Jamaican immigrant, but she mm-hmm. came here when she was like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. so she's lived here majority of her life. Yeah. but my grandparents came here as adults yeah. And they're still very much alive. Mm -hmm. And I remember growing up, my dad always says, I love you. And he's very affectionate. Mm -hmm. Um, Even he's very macho man. But Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think affectionate is different when you talk about Americans and non-Americans. So like to an, uh, to an average American, my dad is averagely affectionate. He's not overly affectionate, but when you come from a different culture, he is affectionate. Yeah. My grandparents on my dad's side would hug me Mm -hmm. and tell me they love me Mm -hmm. my mother's mother was not about hugging (laughs) like we used to hug her and she would just cringe like in she would cringe in agony and disgust at the same time like what are Mm -hmm. you doing and then we had to like train her to like hug we're like no you know this is what we do we hug yeah and she was just like why (laughs) so it but it didn't mean she didn't love um us like she would cook food right And cooking food or buying clothing or she would buy a household item. And that's how she also expressed love to my mom. She, she might not say, I love you. Um, she might not want to hug her, but she'll buy her a whole set from like Macy's (laughs) and like that. And that's like showing love. Um, so I guess, yeah, when you mentioned how, um, affection and emotion is interpreted through different cultures, I just. It kind of like triggered me to think about, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's
1: it's so important, right? Like, um, I think like a problem in like being in the U.S. like we have so many words to mean nothing, right? Like in terms of emotions, so um, we can say I'm fine, and like I'm fine can be interpreted in so many different ways. It's like, oh like maybe you're okay but like it could be like if you're talking to your boo and you're like i'm fine and it's like oh no the kiss of death right (laughs) like what happened what did i do wrong um or i'm okay i'm good there's so many different ways of saying nothing right It, it doesn't express stuff and so part of like teaching like i was like what does anger mean like what does happiness like and people Graduate students cannot answer this question. No. They they don't know (laughs) what that means. Um, That's scary to me.
0: And one thing you mentioned, um, that it was traumatic for you Mm -hmm. in your program. Um, This might be personal and you can decline to answer yes or no. Uh But would you say that you experienced um, some mental health illness or mental health illness traits, as uh-huh. well as your cohort, did they experience things in a program? Because when you uh-huh. are doing this type of work, yeah. it is triggering. Yeah. Especially if you don't... You're you're learning how to have tools, so yeah. essentially you didn't walk in with the tools. You're, yeah. you're, you're experiencing a, a high depth of, of very critical and intense mm-hmm. information constantly, yeah. and then you're learning how to build tools at the same time. So it's yeah. like... I hate this when they say it at my job, but it's building the ship while flying. I hate that phrase (laughs) so fucking much. But yeah, that's, um, that's what essentially that is. Right. Um, so did, did you or your, um, fellows, Mm -hmm. like cohort experience that?
1: Um, I don't know if my cohort did. I'm trying to remember. I can't speak for them, but, um, for me, like it was really stressful. Um, my first semester, I wasn't sure. Um, and sometimes there's, like, a culture shock of, like, uh, I have to adjust, like, my way of being. Like, there's less exams. There's less, like, multiple choice types thing. And it's, like, more practical. So, like, it's kind of, like, sometimes when I have my students, they're so new to that process. If they're right out of, like, undergrad, it's kind of, like, oh, they got this, like, shock of, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to, like, articulate myself. I don't know how to have, like, dialectics in class where, or, like, lengthy discussions around, like, how to, like, prove my point. And um, for me, it, it was... Um, I From undergrad, I had to make a point in which one of my mentors passed away. And during that summer before graduate school, about four other people in my life passed away. And I was going through a lot of different things during that time. I was 21. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I was like, should I take a break? And my mom wouldn't let me. She was like, either like, you go to school or you go to work. Um,
0: and so what you're not gonna do, right? Is yeah, be on you, this couch, right? Exactly. Like,
1: <laughs> she was like, You can mourn, but you have to mourn while doing something. Um, and so I had to choose. I was like, Okay, like, I'm going to grad school. She wasn't the most approving. I love my mom, but she's accepting now and like approving now. But she was like, I don't know, like, I don't know what this is, I don't know what that means. And so in graduate school, there was like a bereavement class and I just could not take that class. It was so tricky trigger- it was so raw still and I was like, I, I can't. I can't I can't touch this subject. I can't do it. And I I felt bad and like even like retrospect, I'm like, damn, I wish I took a bereavement class. That would have been cool. I know how to do bereavement counseling, but it was just like I still wanted to take that class. Um and like there was a lot of depressive moments. I was like, "This program is damn long, like dumb <laughs> long, like." And the amount of money I'm like accruing in debt and public uh, service loan forgiveness, like, will that work out with Betsy DeVos? Like, I'm still praying, right? Like, <laughs> I'm <am> praying. <laughs> I don't know. So there's a lot of dots, right? And then and then being this like a new program, like my program was helpful, and uh, supportive. But there was still this underlying fear of, like, oh, like, how do I compete with social workers? So it was just a pressure cooker of different things. And so what's recommended in our program is to do therapy. And I didn't have money for therapy. I didn't have insurance at the time. So I had to find a different option. Um, And it was a lot of, like, community building of people I um, interned at um, and people at school and, like, my support systems was, like, kept me really grounded. And during that time, I had to change my whole focus on, like, how how do I execute and, like, how can I, like, take care of my mental health and then everything else, like, will figure itself
0: out. That's difficult, though. Um, yeah. Because they... I don't think people understand how hard – I mean, Mm -hmm. especially pre-technology, how hard it is to actually receive therapy and to pay for it because it's not necessarily – well, especially um, pre-Medicaid, pre-Obamacare, it is very difficult. It still is very difficult because it's not necessarily covered under most – fully under Mm -hmm. most insurance companies. Mental health is not taken as seriously as um, more visible illnesses so you weren't able to participate in therapy while mm-hmm. during your program. Um, but other classmates I'm sure found ways or didn't find ways when you did get out and graduate. Yeah. I, 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 have been told my therapist told me that mm-hmm. therapists are supposed to see other therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you are doing? Is that something that mm-hmm. other folks in the field are doing? I don't know how, um, common this yeah. is. Yeah. And, how does that work? It's like interesting. You have to go see someone that literally is, um, someone like you. And do you mm-hmm. also have people who are licensed mental health counselors have to go see you too? Like, are you servicing people who are in your field? Not yet.
1: <laughs> not yet. Um, maybe I'm thinking of a private practice. Uh, yeah. So you should seek out therapy. Right now I'm not. Um, I'm still broke. That copay is still kind of high. Um, but I have in the past. So um, I think when I... I've been out of graduate school like five years, five years. So um, I have to I have gone to therapy and then I stopped because I was like, I think I'm good. Um, but I think the whole point of therapy is to really get to know yourself, right? Like your therapist should be a springboard or a mirror to yourself being like, hey, like, I'm here to guide you. I'm not here to kind of um, force any kind of change, but it's being like, can I facilitate a discussion in your head being like, okay, like what is going on? And like, what changes do you want to make in your life? And how can you execute those things? Right. Um, and yeah, it is pretty common for people to do that. Um, for most postgraduate training, like you do need therapy and, um, and yeah like other mental health counselors like i would see anyone it's anyone that like you have to shop for people right like oh yeah (laughs) like (laughs) your therapist is very intimate they have to be like hey um i'm presenting these things to you and this is my skill set and it's almost like in this day and age of like tinder and like dating and like social media and like all this stuff like therapists also kind of have to like showcase their best selves it's like i do this and this and this and this
0: they do yeah (laughs) it's it's like it's so hard because you don't know who to see and then you don't know which one's the right one for you and then it's like your feelings Mm -hmm. so it's like nerve-wracking because it's not like your car i mean of course some people are also have intimate relationships with their cars and Mm -hmm. items but um i think a lot of people are going to be a lot more guarded with their feelings it's like i'm not trying to start crying or to have a overreactive moment right. I'm already taking the step to look for therapy right. so I need this to go right. right or a lot of people I think people look at therapy as I want control mm-hmm. they want to and that's what I did I, when I mm-hmm. went to therapy I was like I need to get control over yeah. myself and I learned more and more it wasn't about control over mm-hmm. myself which I feel like I was duped and tricked <laughs> um, but I'm glad it was the best um, misconception I ever had and yeah. um, like you said, it is like learning about yourself. You literally are dating yourself. I yeah. have had some bad dates with myself and I've had some really good ones, Um, but it is definitely like shopping. Yeah. So in, in, cause your, your degree is only about like 13 years old mm. Um, as a established and at least in the United States what avenues are you seeing your peers going to? Are they going, cause you work in mm-hmm. a nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. but are you seeing um your peers go into nonprofit organizations like yourself doing more like programmatic work? Are they doing mm-hmm. private practice mm-hmm. in the age of technology? Are yeah. people are now doing podcasts as well. They're yeah. doing um there's talk space. Yeah are they consulting for yeah. businesses like where where are you seeing or what have you seen or heard know. your peers um doing and is there like a common yeah. or more common trends that folks are doing for right now
1: um i think it it depends on your situation i'm single i'm not married i don't have like like a partner to kind of help me like establish those things so i think it like when you're doing it by yourself it's so difficult right um i think I think there are a lot of opportunities to do that. You just have to understand, like, what it means. And there's not a lot of marketing classes in mental health counseling at all, if any. Um, And looking back, like, I remember our class was advocating for business classes because we were, like, we recognized the need for if we wanted private practice, like, we want to do that, and we want to be successful at it. So a lot of people in my program successfully have done it, though. Like, they are able to um, create uh, private practices for themselves by defining a niche and understanding, doing a lot of work around, like, do I take insurance? Do I not take insurance? Do I get a lawyer? Do, um, do I have to protect myself? Yes, yes. You have to do all those <laughs> things. But um it it's a lot of work to kind of just like, I need a website. How do I market to people? How do I it's we're we're like people people. And so we're just like, uh, ah, I don't know how to navigate the business side of those things. Um I do see a lot of people doing consulting work. Um and I think consulting work is really popular. Like uh I have done consulting work for a lot of, like, intersectionality stuff, LGBT stuff, um, and I think it's becoming more and more common. Um, with the sociopolitical that's going on in our country and with the rise of Trumpism, it, it's becoming more and more unclear around that we need um, people to fill in that void and that gap. Um, and weirdly, in my training... Uh, at school, it was more like you couldn't talk about the social political like you really couldn't like pick sides, which is still true like right you can't really do that, but um I think it's becoming more important to recognize the socio political so. yeah
0: i mean half of America was triggered <laughs> in twenty sixteen uh-huh. like chelsea handler Deb, i'm writing her book right mm-hmm. now um this is not a sponsorship but I do love her to <laughs> death. So yeah, life will be the death of me yeah. and you too. Um so she the book I'm only like in the beginning and it. Uh-huh. She's literally talking about her journey through therapy yeah. but she was triggered by the election mm-hmm. and I I don't think this is the first time in American history that people have been triggered by mm-hmm. um by p- politics like mm-hmm. World War 2 a ton mm-hmm. of people were triggered whether they were in the draft or not yeah. because there was a giant gender disparity yeah. your if your friend got if you didn't get drafted but your friend did especially yeah. um also i think um the vietnam yeah totally or like that it affects people because yeah. then there's like guilt remorse and right. or it's a fear and stress because right. you're like i have to go into war right. or it's my husband or my brother yeah. left and i have to now pick up everything yeah or even when we reestablished, like when folks came back from the war and they basically were like, We want our jobs back uh-huh. from these women and women were like, No, we're in the workforce now, no, like we we're not leaving and there was just this really contentious nature and like pe- different states had to make laws on, oh, like can women stay in these jobs right. or are they have to go back into right. the home? Yeah. And yeah. how do you rectify um, now having a more integrated workforce? Right. But yeah, this is not the first time. I think even like no. when we went to nine eleven, um, and
1: yeah. the
0: Bush administration, af- yeah, the entire Bush administration. <laughs> I think, and I'm and I'm not trying to um shit on George W. Bush, um. I think that, just in general, just we went through a very stressful time, like the yeah. economy was falling off mm-hmm. in twenty eight two thousand and eight and nine eleven and the rise of terrorism and how we respond to it and the xenophobia of mm-hmm. the islamophobia mm-hmm. and in general, um that's when social media started becoming a thing yeah. and what else happened? A lot of things happened then. But yeah, outside of that, we went to war a lot. And yeah. that affects people. So um, th- that's great to know. And I'm rambling. But that's great to know <laughs> that Um, hopefully that the social political will be focused more because yeah. it is triggering people. And it's yeah. a real thing.
1: <laughs> right. You have to, like, I think it's more and more apparent to just talk about it. It's a, kind of like the elephant in the room. And, um. And it's so hard not to talk about it, right? Like I teach a substance abuse course and nowhere in my course or my training or kind of exposure, I've looked at tons of syllabus and very few talk about um, kind of like the historical context of substances, right? And talking about how that's racialized, right? How that's criminalized and how how the stigma of substance abuse is um, intersectional, one. And then, two, like, really grounded in kind of the racism of this country and the oppression of this country. And so you can look way back to, like, the 1780s around um, the first, like, law around um, controlling substances was around opium. Um,
0: and especially in... Um my anime, anime history, Japan had <laughs> Japan, and um kind of, I think the British uh-huh. trying the way that their interaction around the op isn't it called the opium? There's like a whole era about it. The, it's called the uh, I don't remember the name of the opium something. There's a name for it, the opium crisis, or like there's a name for it, and it's essentially like there's a whole weird history. Yeah. <laughs> sorry.
1: No, no, yeah. There was like there's like a huge history on like opium and like people's relationship with opium especially, like, with China, and um, at least in the U.S., like, um, Chinese immigrants that immigrated here were being terrorized by white people um, because, once again, people of color are taking people's jobs. Um, That's what white people are saying. And so um, in reaction to that, white women were reporting um, Chinese men in opium dens and saying that they were being assaulted, so that that led to kind of like legislation around opium um, targeting um, communities of color, starting with um, with Chinese immigrants, and then black people were being prosecuted um, and charged with crack and cocaine, and Latino communities were being um, with marijuana so like cannabis is a racial or cannabis was turned into marijuana in terms of term to exotify and to kind of make it appealing to white audience so i use cannabis now as a term (laughs) because like marijuana was really to kind of um to say that like hey like you guys can smoke it but for latino and brown and black folk like it will make you angry. It will give you superhuman strength to like attack people. This was like in the 1920s. Um, there was like a whole thing of propaganda around that.
0: So, so what advice would you give to folks mm-hmm. who are embarking in this field, mm-hmm. and or folks who are already whether they're in school, they're not in school. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the type of things that you would let them know um, Mm -hmm. on how to be successful, how to maintain their mental health (laughs) in the process of supporting others?
1: Mm. I think it's really important that, one, to let go of your sense of perfectionism. Um, Graduate school is hard, but it's hard in a different way. It's not like undergrad where you're like, or high school where you're like, oh, I need to get the A's, I need to be perfect, I need to um at least for me, like when I've been in a hiring position, like I didn't really care about your grades. Like you could be from Harvard, you could be from an Ivy League, you could and be a shitty counselor. Um and it, it just doesn't matter, right? Like it's really about how intimate are you with yourself and how comfortable are you. Flexing and being um, open to new experiences and new people, and being inquisitive, being curious. And um, how do you take care of yourself? Really looking at it as therapy, look therapy and kind of like our field is so individual and group based, and there's not a lot of models for community. And so, um, knowing your privilege around as an intern like you enter these communities and then you leave and so how can you be more mindful of like the communities that you enter and that you have to walk with a humbleness about yourself of you have an expiration date and you might be gentrifying this community right <laughs> um and the other thing is to really... Uh, look at yourself with helping other people. Like, I always tell my class, like, this is not, like, a war to kind of, like, compete with each other. My cohort, unfortunately, was so competitive. It was, like, we were so competitive with each other, and it was, like, born out of this fear that there wasn't space for us. Um, And looking at it now, like, um, people have met have tried to, like, make people of color collectives around, and there are s- places in New York City that really want to, like, mentor and, like, foster um, growth for POC and queer um, counseling and social workers and people that do this work. And so it's really important to kind of, like, be connected to that and to give yourself rest. <laughs> um, it really, you can't be like, um, what is it called? Like a wounded savior in this work. Like you can't save people. You have to allow people to make their own decisions.
0: Thank you. <laughs> that is a lot harder. Um, lot. It's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing. So yeah. Um, so. Is there anything else before we, because um, this is a part one, everyone, so we're going to a part two soon. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to share um, before we clock out real quick?
1: Um, I kind of want to just, like, thank you for allowing me to do this and um, to share space with you. Kind of, like, it means a lot to me that, like, we don't, got a lot of exposure and especially mental health counselors, but also just trying to be in solidarity with community. And yeah, this was like a magical experience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're welcome. And thank you. Um, This is a treat for me. Um, I hope that people feel more inspired to go into this field because there is a lot of stigma around like how hard it is and, Mm -hmm. and what, you the ROI of like going into this field. But it's totally needed and there's so many avenues. But thank you so much for this moment. Thank you, Andre. (laughs) Clock out.